Hi, I'm James, and this is James Explores the New Mutants, an issue-by-issue exploration of Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants. Welcome to episode 38, entitled Enter Leliola, in which I'll be examining issue number 32. Please stay tuned. This episode will be covering The New Mutants, issue number 32, To the Ends of the Earth. So, as you've become accustomed, we will be reviewing the creative team, and that usually goes pretty quick, but today it's going to take a little more time because we have a big change occurring, as I alluded to in the last issue. So we still have Chris Claremont writing the book. Bill Sienkiewicz, he's stepping away, and it's sad to see him go because he is, as I've stated time and time again, my favorite artist on this book. He was revolutionary. He pushed the boundaries of what art could be in a comic. He did his own inking. He did his own pencils. He pushed the boundary with cover art. He did painting, pencils, you know, all sorts of things. He worked with photography and like still images and ways to shape and morph his covers. And they're fantastic and stunning and wonderful. Like as a package, he and Claremont, I think, go together superbly well. Uh, his his more abstract style suited the emotion and the the drama of this melodramatic teen book and comes across well on the page. I think he's well suited to this. It is sad to see him go, but his early stuff, in my opinion, is the best stuff in his New Mutants. When we look at the best that he put on the page, probably the best story that comes out of the New Mutants is the Demon Bear Saga, in my opinion. That is perfection. That is perfection. That is the best. That is the crowning achievement of New Mutants, in my opinion. And I know others might have a different opinion, but I think that is just stunningly perfect. The next story we see him work with Claremont on is the Cloak and Dagger run. And a lot of people rag on that. Talk about how too much of it focuses on Cloak and Dagger and not enough on the New Mutants. It's almost like the New Mutants are the guest stars of that book, of their own book, when Cloak and Dagger are there. But what I would say is that I like about it, we see Zinkevich really pushing boundaries here and like... What he puts on the page for what's occurring for Cloak especially, the angst, the terror, the fear, the darkness, the hopelessness of that is conveyed so well through the art. I find it absolutely perfection in that regard. And that's why I like that so well. I like what he does with it. And it makes me really appreciate that that segment of that story, that, that arc. The next arc that he works on is the Legion arc. And again, he's pushing boundaries. He's working the astral plane and doing things we've never seen another artist do up until this point. And it's it's worked so well. It's so cool and so amazing. I love seeing it. And it ties back to what we saw kind of with the Demon Bear, right? A very dreamlike state, very abstract. And his style worked very well there. It's perfection. And, and it works again with this Legion saga. The very next arc, the gladiatory, the gladiators, and we see Karma coming back in. His art is still wonderful. It's still fantastic. My gripe is that we've been spoiled. That I've been spoiled by Zinkevich. I've seen exactly what he can do, and this story is like humdrum. 
It's not that it's not exciting. It's not that it's not good. But it certainly does not convey, in my opinion, is not as boundary pushing as we've seen in the last three arcs that come before it. And so therefore, it's almost like a kind of a letdown for me. And it's not helped, in my opinion. What we get is some amazing character development through the Beyonder. But beyond that, he interrupts the story. He makes it disjointed in a way that's not conducive to a smooth um, telling of this arc, of this story arc. And it interrupts it in a way that's disruptive to the flow of this story. And that's not Zinkevich's fault. It's not Claremont's fault. That is a mandate from Jim Shooter. And it's something that is frustrating even when it's used to successfully within the story. Some of the best new, so there's some great new unit stories that are going to come out of the Beyonder and they're running with the Beyonder. But it's still disrupted to certain stories and it's being shoehorned into a book that didn't anticipate necessarily needing it. So those things don't fall on Zinkevich. That is just the state of affairs. And so, like, I love the cover art to New Mutants 31. Um, it's stunning and beautiful and amazing. And it reminds me of, in a lot of ways, <laughs> like cut out images pasted together to form characters, the puppets that uh, Karma's playing with. It's really, really cool. It's a neat cover. So, Bill Sienkiewicz is going to be missed. Uh, no matter how I feel about that last arc, I don't anticipate that. I don't really see that as his fault so much as just me being spoiled by these amazing stories. And this story is just not quite as captivating. And not all within, not all due to Zinkevich or Claremont, more so because of this beyonder bull, Loney been shoot on shoot horned in and even when it's worked well it's still disruptive to the the pacing of the story so who fills Zinkevich's shoes now this man is named Steve Laliola and he's a very capable artist and he works in a very similar uh, vein to Zinkevich more abstract style um it's it's almost picking up where Zinkevich left off in terms of how the art style is working for the book. Now, Zinkevich, he's a very interesting story, and I didn't spend a lot of time talking about him and how he got onto the New Mutants. So, in 1983, when he was working with Marvel, he was 25 years old, and so he's really young. He's a young artist working for Marvel. And he and a number of other artists had done some work on New Mut- or on X-Men. Uh, this is after Cochran and Burns had come and gone, and Cochran had come and gone, Paul Smith. Uh, these other artists had come and gone. And they were looking for more of a full-time artist for the book. They wanted to replace these greats. And so Zinkevich got the offer. Well, he had just come off a run with New Mu- uh, Moon Knight, and he was not looking for a set series. He was not looking for a series where he was going to be forced to meet deadlines, where he was going to be forced to, you know, do house style. Like, man, 
especially a title like the X-Men, which was at this time, at that time in the 80, the early eighties was the flagship book for them, for Marvel. Like, and to be tapped and go to work for that, like you got to do what the masses want to a certain degree. He wanted, he wanted some freedom. So he turned it down. You know, he, according to himself, uh, according to himself, he couldn't stomach another series, especially the creative confines of a flagship one. Over the run of Moon Knight, Zinkevich had transitioned from a style heavily influenced by his mentor, Neil Adams, um, to one of unbridled emotional frenzy. And he wanted to continue that exploration. So he just wanted to be able to explore this abstract style he would begun developing on the new on the Moon Knight series. That isn't going to happen on the X book. That's just, on X Men. It's just not going to happen. <clears throat> and he explains, "I was exhausted and wanted to try crazy stuff." He said, "X Men was Marvel's Rolls Royce. I didn't want to be crazy guy driving off the cliff." So after he's turned this offer down, he's been called into the office, he turns down the offer, he's walking around the halls, and Chris Claremont bumps into him. And Chris Claremont tells him about New Mutants, and he gives him the chance to work on that book. And he tells him, hey, I think your style would be great. You know, this is what we want. I need somebody who's willing to push some boundaries. Uh, You're going to be working in this dreamlike state. And so he's talking about pitching him. He pitches him. Demon Bear, the Demon Bear saga, and the rest is history. He comes on the book, and we see what the the what comes of that. And so when he leaves New Mutants, he's going to go uh, join uh, Frank Miller at working with uh, on the Electra Assassin Daredevil uh, Love and War. Which, if you've seen that, that's a fantastic, like, eight-issue uh, miniseries. I think it was published by Epic, which is a spinoff or a side shoot of Marvel. It was a little darker, a little grittier. <clears throat> it's stunning work. It's absolutely stunning. And he, and he continues his abstract uh, style in that run as well. So, how did they get Steve Liliola? Well, he's a fill-in artist, for sure. He does three issues on New Mutants. Uh, he's mostly done inking for both DC, Marvel, and other comic industry, but the, the other comic creators. But he's working for Marvel at the time. Now, thing that I find interesting about his selection, now, Chris Claremont and Anna had both written for Spider-Woman. Anna written for Spider-Woman and uh, Daredevil. She's the editor of New Mutants. And Steve, he had done pencils for Spider-Woman and Daredevil. Uh, so whether it was through the connections that they met that way or whether it was just a Marvel selection, who made that choice, I don't really know. But we get Steve Liliella. He's going to come on from issue 32 through 34 of New Mutants. And he does a fantastic job. He's a great artist. Like I said, he he definitely tries to mirror what Zinkevich was doing. And I think he does a decent enough job. Um, so, colorist. I guess we kind of better jump back to who our creative team is. Glynis Oliver. Uh, letters by Louis, Louis Boulis. Uh, 
Jim Shooter's editor-in-chief, and Nan Anasani is, of course, the X-Men line editor. So that's the creative team, and that's going to be the creative team um, for a couple issues, and we're going to see some more artists come and go. It's just going to become a regular thing, more of a regular thing now that Zinkevich has stepped away from the book. So this issue opens with an immediate flashback, and what we're seeing is the explosion of the mansion from New Mutants issue number six, and the New Mutants pulling themselves out of the water uh, in New Mutants number issue number seven, and the New Mutants had been battling the Silver Samurai and Viper and trying to rescue Danny, and in this madness, we see. Uh, this explosion occur. Everybody's saved, uh, but Karma's lost. Nobody knows what happened to her. They assume she died. Um, Xavier at the time wasn't sure that was the case because he didn't feel her essence disappear. Psychically, he didn't feel that. So, But he doesn't share that with the New Mutants. They end up going to Brazil. Uh, Magma joins the team. More hijinks, more hijinks to this modern day. So, Bobby, we see later, he's the one that's kind of reliving this moment. He's the one that feels like he had reached out. He'd grabbed Karma's hand. Uh, He'd lost her in the fall. When he hit the water, Cannonball, his friend Sam Guthrie, was screaming for help. He was exhausted. He couldn't get to shore. He was going to drown. So Bobby did the only thing he thought he could do, and that was grab Sam and get him to shore. But he is haunted by the screams of what he says, what Karma was screaming for her life uh, during this explosion, and that's haunting him. He is also haunted by, from the graphic novel, New Mutants graphic novel, novel, which was the very first, the origin story, essentially, of the death of Juliana, his girlfriend. She had been shot uh, by the Hellfire goons and died in that, in a, in a in an effort to escape their clutches. So he's reliving that. He he blames himself for that. He blames himself for the death of karma. Um, he He's angry with Xavier. He, he thinks Xavier knew that karma hadn't died. And <clears throat> it's, it's Xavier's fault and Bobby's own fault that karma's now become this monstrous beast that's, that's trying to, that's harming people. And Sam arrives he can't he flies in and lands and he's he's tells bobby that the plane's ready it's waiting and bobby says he's ready and and sam tells him hey you're being too hard on yourself and you need to ease up and he, t- he bobby says you know can uh sunspot roberto da costa bobby tells sam hey you know i'm i tell myself that every day but uh he just can't get her cries out of his mind. It's like the souls, of, and here's, here's this quote, only I can't get her cry out of my mind. Like the wail of the condemned souls at the gates of hell, I keep seeing her as she was and as she is, and I am sick at heart. You know, and this is so great because it's so Bobby, right? Like so overly dramatic right? The cries, the wails of condemned at the gates of hell, like unnecessary. He is feeling pain, 
but it's very much overly produced. It's his production of of this dramatic just presentation, and this is Bobby to a T. That's who he is. And as they're flying away, Bobby tells Sam, hey, she deserves better. We all did. And he argues that it's not their place. They're children. They shouldn't be fighting, using their powers to fight for people that fear and hate them. Right? And so we've heard that time and time again. The X-Men fight for a world that fears and hates them. Right? And Bobby's making this direct argument that we're not ready for this. We shouldn't be doing this. And Sam says, well, you want out? You're done? You want to quit the team? You want to be done with this caper? And Bobby says, no, of course not. He's with them till the end. And they they fly away to meet up with their teammates the, and the other new mutants on, and board a plane. A day or so later, far to the west, we see an image in the first panel of a large jet uh, streaking through the sky um, <clears throat> and below we see the new mutants the full team is here so the team has re the teammates have all come together they've all convened and they're heading west um, so we see Danny Warlock Sam Roberto Shane uh, sorry Rain Sinclair Amara Aquila Ileana Rasputin and Douglas Ramsey and they're all talking about karma and they're trying to figure out what exactly is going on and uh, they're taking this plane to where they think she went that they're desperate to find her they need to find her track her down and try to help her they've got to save their friend or put a stop to what she's been doing and this panel there's a panel here that is absolutely perfection it is a great way for Leliola to pick up and tell the story of kind of what's been happening and fill in gaps for us, the readers, so that we're caught up and ready to start this arc without having read the last uh, arc. And so we get Doug. He's poking away on a computer, doing research, trying to figure out what's going on. And the team, they're talking around him. They're, they're filling each other in. So we're catching up through their conversations. Because remember, Danny, Warlock, Doug... Uh, and Rain weren't around when they, the other half of the team confronted uh, Karma and the gladiators. And so Doug, as he's poking around, uh, he is asked by Eliana if he's found anything. And he gives us a play-by-play that uh, everything that was happening with Gladiator was, was set up by Karma to frame her uncle, General... Um, Koi, who was pretty much, he's an evil dude. He's a bad guy. He'd done a lot of harm to uh, Karma's family and was had tried to enslave her and her, her siblings. Um, so he's not a great guy. And she had basically framed him uh, for all the activities that had been going on. Um, and they they figure if they find Karma... They'll need him to testify. They'll need, they needed his help. And by finding karma, they're going to basically set him free. Right now he's in prison, he's in jail. But if they find karma, he'll be released. Even though that's probably where he belongs. <clears throat> and so you see a picture of him. We see a picture of Viper. We see this faded picture of Shane Coy Man. Uh, and Doug typing through and discussing everything he's found. Um, 
basically they they track her they're tracking her and she shouldn't be too hard to track by hacking into these international databases uh and that's going to give them the information to find her and because of her size and her nasty abilities uh she shouldn't be too hard to track and so he's punching away on the computers and we get some more side conversations um and Danny and and Rain they're just not so sure uh sure that this can't be karma um but but Cannonball and Bobby both are are certain um and they're also not sure that they're the ones that should be doing this they they maybe should leave it up to Xavier and uh and the X-Men but Bobby's quick to point out that he's this happened because of Xavier. Xavier had to know that she was alive. He's a super strong, powerful telepath. How could he have not known? And by not telling them that she was still alive and not sending the X-Men to help her, then he's violated their trust. They can't trust him. And so they're not willing. Bobby thinks that they should do it. Um... You know, she is evil because of Xavier. All this is Xavier's fault, according to Bobby. And Danny says she wants proof before she'll believe any of this. And Sam just tells her, hey, you know, I looked into her face. It's changed. She's bigger. She's put on weight. She's like 500 pounds. But it was her. I looked into her face. She took control of us. It was her powers. It was her face. That's karma. I know it is. Um, and he wishes she was, he was wrong, but he knows he's not. And we get this neat picture and rain had been holding it in her hand. She'd been looking at it. We saw the back of it and it's a really cool picture. I like, uh, it's a, a gag. There's a neat gag in it. Sam's top of his head's cut off in the picture. It's like a Polaroid. It says the new moons. Sorry, Sam. It's beautiful. It's really kind of comical for this high stress situation. We have rain thinking about how she was the first new mutant and, how she was welcomed and helped by karma, how they become friends, and now she's their enemy. And she feels so, so sad and helpless about this. And she's really struggling, too, with believing this. It just can't be her. Um, that somebody, something, someone has has forced her to become evil because she couldn't be evil. Karma is their friend, somebody that was kind and caring. So Rain just can't believe it. Um, and she says so. You know, she yells, they had to. And this draws the attention of a stewardess. And apparently there's this sleeping... <laughs> it's the weirdest part, and others have commented on it, I know. But there's this sleeping car or sleeping portion of this giant jumbo jet um, which doesn't seem correct, but maybe, I don't know. Maybe the rich have massive planes with sleeping bunks so for their long Atlantic and Pacific flights. I don't, I don't know enough to know for certain. But anyways, she comes to check, the stewardess does, and Mage Danny Moonstar projects an image of them all sleeping, this, this 3D image of them all asleep in their bunks. And... She walk leaves, um, and the new mutants are able to return to their their discussions. The next morning, the team arrives at the Pacific Island nation of Madripoor, and 
Madripoor is this is its first appearance in the comics. It's it's not shown up before this. It's creation of Chris Claremont's obviously, and it's used heavily in X Men uh, titles, and we'll see it late used in X Men books and also in Wolverine Solar Series. He's going to use it heavily. Uh, Claremont will use it there. Um, Wolverine's going to run around his patch there and and kind of do things that are not uh, basically. Uh, fight, <clears throat> fight bad guys for bad guys. It's it's a kind of a noir take on com- superhero comp books. Anyways, that's later. We're not going to focus a lot on the Wolverines, hijinks, and Madripoor. Instead, let's focus on what the New Mutants are doing there. Obviously, they're tracking Karma still, and as they step off the plane, they are greeted with people with guns. Now, those guys are just there, anyways. Like, it's a nation that is pretty lawless and wild and rough and tumble. So there are people with guns pretty much everywhere. So they're stepping off onto the tarmac, and Rain, she points out, it's really beautiful country, but it's beastly hot here. So we know that. And Danny just tells her teammates to keep their heads down, don't draw attention, we don't need trouble right now. And we're going to get a nice bit of explanation of what Madripoor is from from the new mutant Douglas Ramsey. Welcome, fellow students, to Earth's version of Mos Eisley Spaceport, a modern-day Tortuga, haven of world-class pirates, crooks, and assorted lesser scoundrels. No extradition and government security makes this the perfect hideout, a sort of neutral zone where the deadliest of enemies can hang out in absolute comfort and safety without fear of each other or foreign cops. So this is not a place most people go. If you're a bad guy, it's a pretty good place to be. You're going to be okay here because you're not going to get extraditions, not going to occur, you're not going to have to face your crimes, you're not going to run into muck with the law. In fact, they are their own law here. And it means that there's violence that occurs between groups, but all in all, this is kind of a haven for you. Um, And the Tortugla part that is I guess an old pirate haven in the Caribbean and that's the sense that this place is kind of like that Um, now Roberto he asked Danny alright how are we getting in we don't have visas we don't have any way to get past uh, into the country what's your plan here and she says they need a diversion and her diversion is going to be come from Amara she creates some tremors and has this little volcano erupt in the tarmac, come up through the ground, it begins spewing out some lava, people are shocked and scared, and, you know, their attention is focused elsewhere. This allows them to slip out in, uh, through the use of Warlock. He becomes this, like, helicopter thing, and he flies away with his teammates. They leave the airport and fly into the mainland. Now, the tremors and stuff, of course, they didn't hurt anyone. It was just enough to get everybody's attention. So... That's the situation. Um, The new mutants make it inland, and uh, yeah, we are in Madripoor, a pretty pretty rough and tumble place. So uh, it's pretty awesome, though. I really like these last couple pages by Leliola. He's paced this well, and it to me, has this feel of this, like, action-adventure, Indiana Jones caper, or spy, um, like, James Bond or Magnum P.I. feel to it. 
uh, <clears throat> very much like that. And it's so like what a teens might come up with, right? We know that they're obsessed with things like Magnum PI and stuff like that. So the idea that their capers are structured in the manner of like these like adventure movies or TV shows does not surprise me. It's very much the feel of kids playing at being adults. And I really appreciate that. And it's paced well here and it's and it's laid out really well. And it's comical in a way that the heaviness of this story arc and what we're going to see later on, it's kind of re- refreshing. It's refreshing because this is a pretty heavy story, right? They thought their friend was dead. Turns out she's alive. And she's alive, but now she's a bad guy. And she's harming everyone around her, using her powers to possess people to harm them and others. So, like, that's a pretty heavy thing when you think about it. So this is well, well executed, in my opinion, and well laid out by Steve Laliola. Um Yeah. Later, at the beach, the team's sitting around, kind of relaxing on the beachside. Um, it's overlooking a road, and a limo passes with lots and lots of security forces. And they kind of play it cool. They just kind of ignore it. Um, and at this moment, Doug Ramsey tries to apologize to Roberto for being insensitive on their flight to Madripoor. And... Roberto's not having it. He's not interested. He's like, nothing's wrong with him. Like, he doesn't need any pity or any apology. And Danny tells him to cool it, just cool down, to relax. He needs to stop. And in her thought bubble, she talks about Roberto having bumped into the Beyonder. And that did not happen. Sam and um, uh, Ileana and Rachel and Kitty all had a run-in with him. But Amaro and Roberto, they were with the Gladiators. They did not have that incident with the with uh, the Beyonder. So um, that's a little bit of a hole. But according to Claremont and Danny, Roberto's struggling right now. He's really pulled into himself because of the Beyonder. Um, maybe he feels more vulnerable now. Either way, Roberto's closing himself off to the team. Now, Doug informs us here that this car that drove by, this giant limo with the security forces, that's karma. She's in that car. This is her car. And the mountaintop, this mountain, and on top of the mountain, the villa out there, that's all owned by karma. This is her place. And... Danny tells them they're going to wait for nightfall, and then they're going in. And, in fact, the team's going to go in, but Warlock and Doug are going to stay there at the beach, and they're going to act as backup. Well, the group is being watched from a very common trope. We see this often in the New Mutants. We've seen this before, uh, Douglas Price watching from a monitor, but we see some uh, goons watching the New Mutants from the monitors in a security office, and they're going to inform their boss. Now, that night, later that night, the group, uh, Berto, Ileana, Cannonball, Danny, and Amara, and Wolfsbane all begin to try to infiltrate, and they take out some guards. Meanwhile, Doug is hanging out with Warlock, and Warlock's going through all these different uh, different um, disguises. One is looks like maybe is Prince or probably Prince or maybe um, Michael Jackson. We've got a Doug, a copy of Doug. We've got mm, a young blonde woman, uh, maybe Madonna, and then like uh, 
frog, Kermit the Frog, but he's smoking like a cigar. Could be the impossible man, I'm not sure. And he cycles through all these and he asks which Doug prefers. And Doug's like, I don't really care, whichever one you like. Doug's moping and... Warlock asks what his disharmony is all about. Why is he freaking all down in the dumps? And Doug says he's worried about his teammates. Uh, He wishes he was with them. And they're taken by surprise and captured. So Doug and Warlock have been captured now. Now, the rest of the team, they reach the villa. And Cannonball smashes through a wall, closely followed by Danny and the rest of his teammates, Sunspot. And they see gladiators, and they begin fighting the gladiators now. And <clears throat> Ileana brings in some of her pet demons to help the fight. Uh, but between the team, they pretty much handle this and, and take out all the bad guys. Now, Rain, she runs into the villa. And she's alone, and Danny tries to stop her. She tells her, you know, don't go off by yourself. We need to stay together. We can't get isolated because that's when karma can strike and can really play havoc with the team. And Danny's close on her heels, followed by the rest of her teammates now. Wolfsbane has been possessed, and she dives on top of Danny, knocking Danny to the ground, and Karma has Danny, uh, Wolfsbane under her control, and Danny calls for her teammates to help, but realizes pretty quickly that everybody's been possessed by Karma. And the situation looks really bad, and Karma is taking a lot of pleasure in this. She is just as they had been, as she has been described by Sam and Roberto. She is... Evil. She's um, out to get vengeance on Xavier. And uh, the new mutants, she's going to use them as that tool. And she's taking so much pleasure in Danny's sheer distraught, um, hopeless expression on her face. And uh, just before this all she has complete control of Danny. Danny's ported away by Ileana. And they are in limbo. And Danny's shocked. And, and Ileana explains, hey, I took us to limbo. We're safe now. Uh, you were the only one I could get, though. Um, just like with Xavier, it's, it makes it hard for Karma to, get, to read her thoughts, to get in, to possess her. It, she has to work a lot harder to accomplish that feat. Um, and so that's what kept Eliana from being possessed and also bought her the time to get Danny out of there. She was only able to grab Danny if she wasn't able to get the rest of the team, and she feels bad about that. And the, she realizes, too, that they're going to have to go back and and get the rest of the team. Now, Danny is super defeated. She's distraught, which I kind of find odd here because Danny has been so successful of late, right? She was in <clears throat> a pretty dire situation with Xavier and her teammates when she was in uh, Legion's mind, and she was able to overcome that and and successfully help um, navigate that situation. So her disastrous de- despair here seems out of place. Um, um, but she does feel this, like, sickness and loss at her teammate having gone evil. And, like, she is so evil. And maybe she feels somewhat betrayed by Xavier in a similar manner that, it, that Roberto was. But either way, the decision is made. They're going to return and help get their friends back. But this time, unlike when they faced the Hellions, 
they, Ileana has decided they um, will bring some reinforcements with them. So she brings some demons, one of whom is Sim, to help them in their battle against Karma. And Ileana's debating on whether she should let the demons have Karma. And Danny says no, that that's not what she wants. Um, as much as she'd like to, they need to take her alive and hope that Xavier can help Karma. However, when... Danny and Ileana return to Karma's villa, the situation has gone from bad to worse because the gladiators have been massacred. Body parts are strewn everywhere. Things are ripped apart. The demon that Ileana had brought in from Limbo during the fight with the gladiators has been killed as well. And one of the things that Danny notices pretty quickly is Gladiators have been ripped from limb to limb. Uh, The demon has been charred by flames. Um, Some have been pummeled to death. Some have been ripped to shreds. Uh, It looks as though the damage inflicted here was from her fellow new mutants. And she is appalled by this. And Ileana points out that, yeah, it might have been them their powers that caused this damage but they weren't the ones wielding it it was karma and Danny is not consoled by this thought she feels she's been the one to blame in that her as I had mentioned before her her thoughts in limbo her 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 cert- certainty and her confidence and all of that that she'd gained had caused her to blindly lead her team into this situation and it's her fault that they're in this situation. She's the one that caused this. And Ileana is, has no time for this. She point, She pretty pointedly says, are you just going to mope? Are we going to try to fix this situation? Well, Sim comes up and says, there's company outside. And Ileana goes to the window and she sees cops with guns pointed at the house. Um, now they've been framed. As they've teleported back... Um, Ileana decides, well, I'm going to go out. You, you, Sim stays back with Danny and holds Hyde out of sight. I'm going to try to get some answers from the cops, see if they'll help us. She steps out on the porch and says, hey, fellas, and all of a sudden, shooting erupts, and they poured out of there. She ports Sim herself and Danny back to Limbo. Upon returning to Limbo, Danny realizes that Karma has framed them. She had the New Mutants kill her. The, gar- the, gar- the the gladiators and anyone else in the villa um, and then called the cops knowing that Ileana and Danny would return and thus pinning the crimes on them um, so they Danny's blood is she's, she's ready for a fight she's ready to uh, confront karma and sets things right and um Ileana wants to know what to do, and Doug had mentioned, according to Danny, that Karma also has a place in Cairo, Egypt, and Danny wants to go after her there. They'll they'll take him on there, she figures, and um, Ileana's not so sure. She doesn't think it's a good idea to teleport that far. Danny, however, insists they need to do it, and it's the only option they have because they don't. There's not another option, and so they do. Um, Ileana does teleport them there and they look around once they arrive and the buildings are not familiar. They're very different. Uh, and Danny 
and Ileana quickly figures out that they've shifted not only in in space but also in time and she's extremely upset with Danny and Danny's like well it's not that big a deal you know yeah we shifted in time but we'll just go back to limbo and try again Ileana says no you don't understand I'm exhausted and I can't use my powers again we are stuck here right now until I get um, until she rests up and we also discover that the further she travels in space, the less control she has, space and time. So 5,000 years can mess up me up just as much as 5,000 miles. And she's pretty concerned she's never going to get him home. Uh, Danny does apologize, but Ileana's not having it. And... Their team up here is not going as well as it did in the New Mutants issue. These two worked so seamlessly together in that uh, Hellions issue, New Mutants number 17, 18. The Hellions, uh, when they they battled the Hellions, this time it seems that their relationship is not as smooth as it had been. Um, And it might just be the trauma of their teammate, their one-time teammate, and the stress that that has caused, but also the fact that their team is in a little bit of a different situation than they were previously. Um, and they're all a little more experienced. And so failures maybe are harder to swallow than they were um, back then. Anyways, guards do catch them, and they decide they start running. The two of them begin to run. They need to find somewhere to hide. They're, they're in trouble. They see a hand beckoning them into, calling for them and beckoning them into this doorway, and they, they enter. They tumble down some stairs, and they land on the ground. When they look up, they're surprised at who they see. They think it's Storm, Aurora, but she says, no, no, that's her child. Her grandchild is Aurora, many times removed. Her name is actually Ashaki, Ashaki. I'm probably mispronouncing that pretty poor, horribly. Um, but she is heartened to see, find out that her bloodline still exists in the future. She also tells them that her abilities have allowed her to um, look into their minds, and that's how they she's knows who they are. She saw everything. It also taught her their their language. That's her abilities um, have allowed this, and so she offers them a place to hide and rest before they continue their trials. Um, We also find out through her that, um, and I'm just going to read her quote to Ileana. Like you, Ileana, I walked the shadow path. When I sensed your kindred soul tumbling along the time race, I drew you to me. The same sorcery that taught me your tongue. Rest now. Rest now. Restore yourselves. My home is yours. And, like, this is such a weird panel, and, and it's almost as though this just happens way too quick. It's all, like, I want a miniseries for this, because in a, there's a day that we don't, there's a day that pretty much, or evening or a night that happens off panel we don't see, um, and the next day, um, after Leona's rested, she's prepared to go to limbo, while Danny has pretty much withdrawn, she is shut down, and she is um, pretty much questioning herself and her decisions. She's not prepared to continue. 
And Ileana just wants her to snap out of it, you know, and points out, hey, you know, everyone's entitled to making a mistake. Danny doesn't want to hear it. And Ileana asks Ashaki if she can do something, if she can help her friend. Um, and Ashaki says, no, this despair, this depression, whatever this is, Danny's got to face this terror and fear on her own and overcome it on her own. Um, Ileana asks if she doesn't and doesn't really get an answer. She is just told by Ashaki that she's enjoyed them and they they end up porting, teleporting again. Uh, this time they end up in Cairo again, but this time it's a distant future. Uh, and we see a couple running, fleeing through the streets and they're being chased as there's an eruption from the ground and a fast-moving object swipes at them. They pull a gun and then someone rockets into the ground, uh, rockets towards them, and we see uh, a black figure smashing the ground, sending them flying. Then we see a fuzzy brown explosive face with fangs and stuff as a hand reaches out to shield themselves from it. And we find out it's Wolfsbane. And Danny and Ileana are watching and see that it's their teammates. They've traveled into the future. Their teammates, Amara, Rain, Bobby, and Sam, are evil. They are here um, causing harm to people. Like they, they, And Danny, she has a side link with Rain Sinclair. In her who's in her wolf's form, and she's able to tell how much joy and that that Rain is feeling in this moment, just from the terror that she's inflicting on these these people, these helpless victims that she's she's hunted down. Um, and and Danny realizes it's Rain that she's feeling. Um, and they new mutants, these older, older versions of the new mutants. And we know as they're old because one, it's futuristic landscape and architecture. We see futuristic clothing on the people that were being chased. We see Roberto with uh gray highlights in his black hair. And they notice Danny and Ileana and they tell them that they've missed them and that they want them to join. Um and rather than sticking around to find out what's going to happen, Ileana teleports them away. And this time she gets it right. She brings them back to Cairo, modern day. And Danny's in a lot of despair. She falls to her knees, screaming no, and just repeating it. And she is in tears, tears streaming down her face. And Ileana wishes she could help, wishes she could feel and share the pain and the grief that Danny did so that they could at least try to comfort one another. But Ileana explains through thought bubbles that she has to keep her heart locked up tight to protect from the soul, the evil in her, in her soul. And she also thinks about how part of her really just wanted to stay with those future mutants to, to do the work that they were doing, to, to, to be harmful and evil towards people. And Ileana asks if Danny's got any more bright ideas. And Danny's had it. And and she asks, 
What do you want from me? I tried my best. I did what I thought was right. But how can we defeat such a villain, such power? And Ileana says, they're our friends. We've got to try. We've got to find a way. And Danny just doesn't see a point. Why bother? It's, she points out it's the Hellions caper all over again. And she feels really helpless because they don't know. They've seen the future and they've seen the past and none of it tells them how this is going to turn out. And Danny doesn't see that there's any certain way to save their friends. She just wants the time traveler, Ileana, to tell her, can the future that they saw be changed even? And Ileana's done. She yells, I don't know. I can make the power work, but pretty much everything beyond that is a mystery. And don't you yell at me, Daniel Moonstar. None of this would have happened. Had happened, we wouldn't have seen a thing if you wouldn't have made me use the power in the first place. So things are coming apart at the seams. And they're confronted by someone. And she says, this person says, and then in blissful ignorance, you could have allowed your friends to proceed to their doom. Your precious conscience would have remained clear. Is that what you want? And the two girls turn, and they, at first, Ileana thinks it's a shaki, the grand, the great grandmother of Storm, but it's Aurora. And they ask how, and Warlock had not been possessed either. He was able to free, get free, and he went and went to the X-Men. He found a storm. And being an alien, he's immune to karma's powers. And so he, he led, this is where he brought storm. And he is willing to help if, if she'll have them. And so the three of them, the four of them, I should say, Ileana, Danny Moonstar, Storm, Aurora, and uh, Warlock are, are going to work together to help the new mutants and try to rescue them from the clutches of karma. Uh, and that's going to be the next, next issue. That's the end of this issue. We see a, a beautiful shot of their hands coming together and joining in solidarity. Um, I, I really love this issue. The next issue is going to be against all odds. Um, I, like I said, I like this issue. I do kind of wish that they would have taken some more time to explore the Shaki past in Cairo and, and the future um, in this issue of the New Mutants. Um, I do understand why we didn't spend a lot of time there. That would have really interrupted pacing, I think, in this book. I do like the appearance of Storm. I think that's great. Aurora showing up. Uh, she's her mohawked, badass self in this issue, which is really cool and, and enjoyable. 
Um, yeah, so I, I think all in all, I really do like this issue. Um, there are some plot areas I think are a little weird, like Roberto's linkage to the Beyonder, being linked to the Beyonder in the way he has been. Um, the New Mutants are going to get heavily affected be, by the Beyonder more than they already have, but currently that's not the case. Um, I do I do really enjoy this look at the future, uh, <clears throat> the future that could be, and the uncertainty of how to handle the present knowing that that's the future, um, and Danny's struggling with that, uh, the collapse of Danny's confidence, and having seen how time time travel has been problematic for the for the team in the past, and how it's how it's really causing Danny some problems in the current uh, is enjoyable as well. I do really like when Danny and Ileana team up. I mean. Danny's one of my favorite characters. She is my favorite character, I think, if I'm honest. Um, and then Ileana is probably a close second. I, I like the entire team, but those two, when they work together, and the friendship that those two have, I really enjoy. Um, I like that bond that they developed from that Hellion's Caper and the Demon Bear Saga, even though it's not fully developed and they never really seem to trust each other. Uh, I do like that they work fairly well together, even when that relationship's strained. Um, and, you know, who's... I mean, the situation's pretty hopeless um, at that point. And so to be buoyed by the arrival of Aurora uh, is, is, a, is a big deal. Um, and they're up against a pretty malevolent, malevolent evil force in karma. And... As we talked about, I think the time we heard we in issue number six, New Mutants issue number six, uh, as they're entering the mansion to fight Viper and Silver Samurai, we saw uh, Karma hearing voices, and that was, um, and and that was the beginning of this possession of Karma, um, and and we're seeing that play out here again um so we're going to continue this storyline next issue uh next episode sorry um like i said um and see how this all shakes out uh but uh yeah it's a pretty solid issue i think and uh some really again good character development and uh yeah next issue like i said um issue number 33 entitled Against All Odds. Um, yeah. James Explores the New Mutants is, as always, recorded in Iowa City, Iowa, and is produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are published every Wednesday and can be found wherever podcasts are available. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at Explore New Mutant via email at explorethenewmutants at gmail.com. Visual companions to the episodes are available on Facebook and Instagram by searching James Explores the New Mutants. Another real cool way to get a hold of the podcast is via the Anchor Messenger service. It allows you, the listeners, to record minute-long comments or questions that are sent directly to me. I can then place those comments or questions directly into the episode, so it's a really cool way for you listeners to become involved. Um, Yeah. Until next week, keep reading those comics.